Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Fast Fill. Fast Fill is a new podcast series sponsored by Natural Gas Vehicles for America, the national organization dedicated to the development of a growing, profitable, and sustainable marketplace for vehicles powered by both natural gas and biomethane, and for promoting the use of more natural gas in transportation. I'm your host, Dan Gage, president of NGV America, and joining me today is NGV America's Director, Federal Government Affairs, Allison Cunningham. Welcome, Allison. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. Sure. Allison, one of the most important functions of any trade association is ensuring that we advocate for our industry. We educate lawmakers on a variety of issues and, and really lobby for specific policies. As I mentioned, Allison heads up our federal government affairs effort at NGVA, and she manages all of our federal legislative and lobbying efforts. Allison, tell our listeners a little bit more about you and about our federal legislative program. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, As you mentioned, I'm Director of Federal Government Affairs for NGV America, and this is a position that I've had for about three and a half years uh, before joining the staff at NGVA. I had experience in other parts of the natural gas value chain, including work for a natural gas pipeline company and work for the American Gas Association, which represents investor-owned natural gas local distribution companies, and for which we have a couple of shared and overlapping members. But before I began working in natural gas, I started my career on Capitol Hill, uh, working for two different members of Congress. Uh, Since joining NGV America, my job is to communicate our industry's needs to Congress. This takes the form of lobbying for specific bills or specific policies, and sometimes lobbying against specific bills or policies, as well as really educating members of Congress and their staffs on various issues that are of importance to us include on NGVs, renewable natural gas, related environmental tax and transportation policies. You, you and I both sort of started our careers in, in similar ways. Um, you know, I worked in local government and in state government, and then finally um, at the federal level, and you got your start as well on Capitol Hill, um, you know, <laughs> without age dating us, because uh, um, we're not that old, are we? Uh, but it's been it's been decades now, and it has really really changed. And I'm su- I'm surprised I don't feel you know I feel myself as uh, sort of mid career, but just it's a drastic difference. Not only the tone and tenor on Capitol Hill, but the processes. Um, how how has NG and, and you know you and I have been with NGV America now for for three years. How how do you think NGV America's federal program has changed, or really just? Why our why our approach to lobbying has to change so much since since we got involved with this organization? Yeah, sure. The nature of lobbying in congressional affairs has changed changed drastically in the last fifteen years or so. Um, without aging me too much, I actually first came to Capitol Hill right after the major changes to some ethics laws. So that really mm-hmm. was kind of the beginning right. of when uh, the game changed in a lot of different ways. It used to be a lot more kind of long-standing relationships. You could go grab a drink with somebody. You can take them to lunch. You could kind of build those relationships. It's real silly. It's still really a relationship-based kind of activity now, but you just have to go about it in a much different way. Uh, so in order to represent an issue or an industry, you know, it requires a lot more participation from our members directly than it did in the past. You know, we can't take a staffer out for a drink or discuss issues that way. So it requires a lot more pounding of shoe leather, so to speak, reaching out on a constant basis, making sure we're on the Hill all the time doing education. There's also a much more specific 
interest paid to kind of local ties and local mm-hmm. interest. So that's why we're constantly asking our members across the country to reach out to whoever represents them federally with a local tie that's in place. Well, I just think back to, you know, our our time on the Hill when we'd get back into the office in the morning and the fax machine right below the fax machine would be piled up with paper from all of the just the blast faxes that we would get in terms of from not only constituents, but people all over the country. And so communicating with members of Congress was always personal, right? And and try to make it relatable and relevant to, to the member in the district. But um, there's just so many additional platforms now so that, you know, the, the number of aides in these offices or staffers in the offices hasn't increased, but they're being barraged with messages and media and demands really from a variety of different platforms. It's not just faxes and phones. It's email, it's um, Twitter, it's it's mm-hmm. all the social media, and they're required to respond to all that in some ways. So, you know, and then and then as you mentioned, when you when you when you layer um, the ethics rules and just the difficulty, because everything everything is looked at right with sort of a sinister a, a slant to it. Um, but it is much more difficult to develop these longstanding relationships. And I think I think you're right. Um, uh, in order for a staffer to invest time and energy, you really have to establish a reason why. And it has to begin with, you know, the economics, right? And a footprint. And, um, and, uh, and like, how, how do you think our industry as a whole, the natural gas uh, vehicle industry is viewed, right? And how, how are our messages being received these days on, on Capitol Hill? Yeah, and you're exactly right to your point about kind of some of those challenges. I also worked for a member who was just beginning a social media presence, at, you know, at that certain point where they were kind of learning it. It was a new frontier. I got to manage that for him. Fortunately, I understood what that looked like, but it does, you know, they're the same six or eight staff on the house side. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot more staff turnover. So that makes the job of an association even more difficult because you may have a staffer who really is well-educated and knows the issues And they're going to leave a lot more quickly than they used to because the pay hasn't changed in 30 years and the demands keep increasing. Fortunately for our industry, our messages are really well received on the Hill. Um, We represent part of the natural gas value chain where NGVs are the cleanest heavy duty trucks in the world. They are an affordable solution to climate change. And the portion of the value chain that tends to face more scrutiny are, you know, fortunately not the areas we work on more directly. You know, when lawmakers have concerns about pipelines or the environmental footprint of natural gas production, those are valid concerns. Uh, But we're able to say that we don't deal with those more directly. We provide a solution to naturally occurring methane by capturing RNG. Uh, We really are positively received by those who have clean air and climate concerns. We're positively received by those who have um, a concern that we use domestic energy and use our abundant geologic natural gas. So that's really well received. But there are some challenges, you know, obviously there are people who have different kind of preferences or have different ideas about what the future of transportation is going to look like, the speed at which we get there. Uh, But overall, I would say that we're in a unique position and it's not, you know, wouldn't be that way without some some work or pounding some shoe leather, as we called it before. Mm -hmm. If you could get today in this environment, one message, one thing, one takeaway through to Congress, both both members, but but also, you know, more importantly, staffers, what would that be? What would it be, do you think? 
I think I would just encourage them to pay attention to real solutions that are affordable, available, and domestic and ready to use right now. Um, I often worry that we're trading one crisis for another if we're picking winners and losers in transportation policy rather than letting the best products compete in an open market. Um, I worry that with the push to complete electrification, uh, you know, there's this push to do it right now, even when the technology is frankly not available or on road, particularly in heavy duty, where we see natural gas is the best solution and where we see the biggest on-road emissions. Uh, I worry that the push to completely electrify right away, we will be ignoring the fact that there are component materials for EVs that come at a high environmental cost. We may not see those environmental costs here, but they're certainly global and we deal with a global climate. And equally, the appetite for alternative fuels seems much stronger when gas prices were high. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want us to wait until there's another high gas crisis before we begin to focus on domestically available natural gas and renewable natural gas, because it really is a win-win that can help both of these parties and both of these concerns right now. Yeah, maybe towards the end, we'll get a little, uh, we'll talk a little bit more of um, crystal balling and just see what November brings. But <laughs> it does seem as if, um, well, the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, has always been a, a, a compromiser, right? He's always been more centrist. Um, but uh, forces are really going to be pushing him to be all or nothing, you know, sort of what we're yeah. seeing in California. And and so we we will have our workforce, but 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 before before we get to that, I you know I, I asked you what the message would be to members of Congress, if you could share a message from a, as a federal lobbyist back to NGV industry supporters, NGVA members as it relates to their own advocacy message, um, what what's your guidance for them? What what do you think is the best lead in for them? Yeah, I would say both in terms of their message to Congress and our messages to one another when we're having conversations, just don't focus too much on EVs and electric vehicles. I often hear frustration, and rightfully so, that the government is giving EVs preferential treatment in everything from tax incentives to vehicle incentives, uh, research and development funding, et cetera. Uh, but in reality, we can't expect to compete with EVs until Congress knows more about the competition. Renewable natural gas is really a game changer for our industry, certainly, and for clean transportation. It's a completely renewable fuel that's used on road in massive and growing amounts every day. It mm -hmm. removes harmful emissions from our atmosphere, utilizes American-made technology, and really gets rural America involved in the production of this fuel as well. So I would encourage our members to focus on that and to focus on growing our industry's profile rather than fixating on unfair treatment of natural gas compared to other fuels or areas where there is frustration that's kind of warranted, uh, but continue to tell our story and we'll continue to see more support in turn. So how do you take that and, you know, how do you represent our members' priorities um, easily in an elevator speech on, on Capitol Hill? What's your message? Yeah, really what our members care most about is parity or an equal mm -hmm. field for natural gas vehicles. We often seek out policies that enable NGVs to compete in the clean transportation market when certain fuels may receive one incentive or another, one grant or another, or as I mentioned, tax incentives. Uh, but we really fight to ensure that NGVs are part of the clean transportation future, have equal access to funding and credits, et cetera, and really just want that opportunity to let the product speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And so what are what are um, share with our our listeners a little bit of what our what our major asks are as we move into, well, 
likely the before the August recess and then uh, and then post August, um, you know, whatever can get done before Election Day. Right. Or 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 in a in a lame duck after Election Day. Sure. Uh, we have priorities we work on all the time. Obviously, we're recording this in the midst of the pandemic. So things right. are quite different this year in terms of opportunities and challenges facing everyone nationally. But our highest priority remains finding a long-term extension of the alternative fuels tax credit. This is a 50 cent per gallon credit for all natural gas used in transportation. So that would be CNG, LNG, and RNG, as well as other alternative fuels like propane and hydrogen. So we've really been the leader in Washington in getting that extended. We were successful in achieving a three-year extension at the end of 2019. And we're really hoping to get longer term, more predictable extension of that in the future. This year, we've been focusing a lot on access to funding opportunities for the build out of alternative fuel infrastructure as part of an alternative fuels corridors program. A lot of this is being discussed because surface transportation reauthorization is working its way through Congress this year. We've also been focused on tax parity for uh, liquefied natural gas and inland waterways and relief of the federal excise tax on heavy-duty natural gas trucks. Uh, We also support funding for sustainable transportation partners like the Clean Cities and for various natural gas vehicle research and development dollars, which we pursue in the appropriations process. And yesterday we had a group conversation with some of our federal government affairs uh, committee members regarding the FET and that effort. And so I know we've been supportive of that. Um, It hasn't been our our uh, our main focused ask because we do have some other probably more important priorities from a natural gas specific perspective. But tell us a little bit about the FET and and what that movement is and how that might um, might I- I- encourage not only new new purchases but also purchases of cleaner tech, right? Sure. The FET or the federal excise tax is a 12% tax that's levied on the cost of a new heavy duty vehicle. So in the instance of natural gas trucks, this is 12% on the base cost of a truck. Uh, Unfortunately, because natural gas trucks are a good bit more expensive than kind of newer diesel counterparts, that 12% is assessed on the higher base cost. So then you just kind of get an increasing kind of snowballing effect of a more expensive truck a higher tax, and it just really makes it more difficult for fleets to make an ROI or reduce their buyback periods so that they Mm -hmm. can make those clean investments and make the business case for them. So we have been working with a coalition that's been seeking to have a two-year holiday for the FET, essentially just kind of not charging people that tax for two years with hopes that it can aid in the truck sales market, the truck manufacturing market, and other pieces of the economy that have really been down and impacted by uh, the pandemic. So that's something that we have been supportive of. Uh, there have been other efforts ongoing to completely repeal the federal excise tax on heavy-duty trucks. We haven't been engaged in that effort specifically, but those people have very good points because this was a tax that was created, I believe, in World War One, and really has kind of continues to fund the highway trust fund, which is important, but the reason for the tax itself has kind of outlived its usefulness. So generally what we ask about in non-COVID times is just that the FET be applied to natural gas vehicles in a way that's really comparable to other diesel trucks where mm-hmm. we're not penalized because our trucks are more expensive. We pay the same kind of fair share. Uh, so we've pursued legislation to that effect in years past, but right now we're really supportive of the effort for a two-year holiday on that federal excise tax. 
Yeah. And it seems, I mean, I'm thinking back to just as I was leaving the Hill and the last time we had a really, really tough recession, gosh, it would have been what, like 06, 07 or 07, 08, 09, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there was the cash for clunkers for light duty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, FET, I think the thought is, correct me if I'm wrong, that by eliminating this really, really regressive federal excise tax, tax on top of everything else, that you're going to encourage fleets to, to make those clean investments. I know talking to a couple of our OEM members, um, their class eight sales are, gosh, I think their sales are, are about half of what they were this time last year. And certainly COVID and the uncertainty of all that um, and the fact that the production was halted for so long um, has impacted that. But at some point, there's got to be some sort of jumpstart for the industry. And if and when there is, um, it just makes logical sense for the federal government to find some ways to to level the playing field so that some of these fleets that want to make um, clean technology investments are able to do that without being penalized by some sort of regressive tax that's just out of balance. Right, exactly. They're paying, you know, taxes on the road or on fuel, even if it's natural gas. So to have to pay that in several different ways is a challenge, you know, and there is that agreement that we need to move to cleaner vehicles, cleaner heavy duty trucks. So that's an agreement in theory. And this is just a really easy way. You know, there's no paperwork required. It's just kind of an easy fix. You don't have to apply for any sort of rebates. Obviously, the IRS has been very busy, which kind of challenges other possible kind of tax-based mechanisms. Uh, but yeah, but it would be a really good, easy solution. Um, and you're right. One one thing that I joke about when I meet with younger Hill staff who look at me as if I was on the Hill with Moses is, you know, I remember when um, Republicans were in the minority previously, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't leave for August recess until we dealt right. with gas prices. And right. It, the, the lights were dark on the House floor. I feel like I remember Mike Pence when he was a congressman, you know, just giving speeches. We have to deal with gas prices. And that's the sense of urgency that I wish we had now in saying we really have seen, even though oil prices are low, OPEC wars going on during this time. You know, let's have that sense of urgency now to say we have energy security. We can do it in a clean way. We have abundant supply. We have domestic manufacturing, which would benefit from use of more natural gas, but also, you know, creating more of these trucks and engines and component parts and everything to buses and everything else here in America. So I'd love for them to get that sense of urgency back again. Yeah. And I, th- I think for, for part of it, you know, not just our members, but other folks that are in this space, um, there needs to be a real sense of urgency uh, in, in becoming more active, I think, in advocating on the state and federal level. Um, and I'm going to reference, you know, the recent decision by the California Air Resources Board as part of their act rule um, to sort of redefine what near zero is. So, mm-hmm. so you know, c- clean means different things to different people. I always, I understand and it always will. But for years, we've been seen as part of the solution, um, encouraged uh, incentive programs. And now it feels like there's just, you know, uh, a sense that maybe the rug is being pulled out from under us. And I think a lot of folks um, who've made these investments in natural gas vehicles and are furthering that investment because they're now refueling that or that consideration, they're refueling them with renewable natural gas. So not only are you getting, you know, tremendous clean air benefits, you're in a zero emission equivalent uh, product when it comes to, to pollutants, but by refueling with RNG, now you're potentially at a uh, at a net 
uh, a net zero um, result or net negative result, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there are folks that say, well, that shouldn't matter because it props up or supports an oil and gas industry. And that's really frustrating. I think that's going to be our challenge, right? As we go into the, these new sessions in state houses in Congress um, to remind folks that uh, we've been investing. Uh, it is a, a, a solution that provides real impact, cost-effective impact today. And it's scalable, it's commercially available, and we're not going to be waiting decades um, for technology to develop and 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 then become affordable, right? We've got it today. And so um, that's a big challenge for us. And, and being, I think, uh, our industry, being, being able to still access funds that are available, although you and I've talked um, at length, the fact that, uh, you know, the federal government and especially state governments that have been very generous in incentivizing the purchase of clean technologies, uh, you know, they've got um, they've got a lot of other COVID related and and economy related um, uh, issues to deal with when it comes to their public budgets. So, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, and to your point, you know, telling those stories, what I mentioned earlier in terms of not focusing too much on EVs, it's also helpful for supporters of our industry to realize, you know, there is some preferential treatment out there. And there are some things like you see in California, as you mentioned, that's a result of heavy lobbying. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a result of people who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on extending an EV tax credit for vehicles and extending different, you know, incentives or getting new ones in place. So people often wonder, you know, it feels like we're in a David and Goliath situation. And we really are, you know, until more people in our industry realize the need to not just have themselves and their employees engage in grassroots congressional outreach, but also to realize that federal affairs is an important part of every company, whether that's, you know, hiring somebody in Washington to represent you or having somebody in-house. I think that's a difference as well in kind of our association's lobbying over the past decade or so is members used to say, we don't need a lobbyist because that's why we have the association. But now really, it's not the fact that we've changed. In fact, we've, you know, had, I believe, become more effective and more engaged and kind of our leaders in the clean energy space and work with other partners more effectively than ever before. But you have to realize that now you have new players in the field, you know, different auto manufacturers who have budgets that will dwarf others. They partner together. There are new associations and there are other kind of organizations that spend millions and millions of dollars. And frankly, we need to be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I hope that um, folks listening today, if they're not engaged in NGV America's state or federal government uh, affairs activities, that they would consider doing that. Um, it's really, really important, especially as we go into, you know, the election season this fall and um, and then whatever the resulting legislative introductory bills and packages will be come January. Thanks, Allison, for joining me today. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks to all of you, too, our listeners, for tuning in. For, for more information on NGV America's federal program, visit our website at ngvamerica.org. There you can sign up for NGV's, NGVA, uh, our weekly newsletter as well. You can share comments with us on today's podcast via email at info at ngvamerica.org. And be sure to follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And on behalf of Allison Cunningham and the entire NGV America team, I'm Dan Gage. Thanks for joining us. You just experienced the fast fill. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Bye-bye, all. <laughs>